Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. What a turn of events. Jesse Smollett looked like he was going to be doing some time in the slammer for that outrageous hoax he masterminded, but then all charges were dropped. Amanda Head will explain why it's very convenient to have friends in high places these days and why this story is far, far from over. And are you transphobic? Well then, take the transphobia quiz in a new book called Transphobia, Deal With It and Be a Gender Transcender. But get this, the propaganda in this book is now being foisted on 11-year-old kids in Nova Scotia schools. Kian Bexte has all the unbelievable details. And our resident troublemaker, Sheila Gunn-Reed, while well, she's been crisscrossing Alberta with her Stop Notley signs, she dropped by NISCU recently, and judging by the crowd's mood, it would appear that major regime change shall be occurring in that province in the weeks ahead. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day, and I'll share some of your responses regarding my brief interview with Jordan Hunt, that Toronto male feminist who seems to have a fetish for physically assaulting women who espouse opinions that differ from him, his. Spoiler alert, he didn't lay a hand on me during our encounter. I wonder why. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. This morning, it was announced that state attorneys had dropped the case against Smollett for his part in perpetrating a fake hate crime against himself, a case that could have led to thousands of dollars in fines and years behind bars, except that all of this took place in Crook, I mean, Cook County. The state attorney, Kim Fox, recused herself shortly after the investigation opened, citing reasons pertaining to a personal relationship with Jesse Smollett's family. It was her assistant, Joe Maggots, who dropped the charges after Smollett completed 16 hours of community service and relinquished his $10,000 bond amount, as if 10 grand would cover all of the costs associated with this case. Whatever. But apparently, Fox was trying to avoid Chicago PD involvement from the very beginning. She knew that CPD Superintendent Eddie Johnson wasn't going to let this go. So early on, she tried to finagle the case away from CPD to get it over to the FBI, which would be, quote, a huge victory, as she said in text messages recovered by the Chicago NBC affiliate via a Freedom of Information Act request. Make no mistake, this is not an exoneration. As reported by Daily Mail, Assistant State Attorney Joe Maggots thought Smollett was Smollett was guilty, but that based on the facts and circumstances of the case and his lack of criminal background, the decision was made not to pursue the 16 felony disorderly conduct charges that a grand jury returned. Well, it's not quite like getting away with murder a la O.J. Simpson, but my goodness, it sure looked like Jussie Smollett was done like dinner regarding that outrageous hate crime against him that many believe, of course, never actually happened. But instead of a trial and going to the local crowbar motel pending a guilty verdict, which seems certain, Smollett is now free as a bird after all 16 felony charges against him were miraculously dropped. But the question remains, why? And joining me now to further discuss this shocking turn of events regarding Smollett is our LA-based Hollywood conservative, Amanda Head. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Amanda. Thanks for having me. 
Always a pleasure, my friend. So, Amanda, I thought James Woods really nailed it in a tweet when he um, said something along the lines that Smollett can now team up with OJ to help him look for the real killer. <laughs> so, Amanda, what in blue hell is the unspoken story regarding Tuesday's shocking announcement? Yeah, so I think we all woke up Tuesday morning kind of bewildered because this kind of came out of the blue. His next court appearance wasn't scheduled until next, the middle of next month. Uh, but this was an emergency hearing held after Smollett had apparently um, participated in 16 hours of community service. We don't actually have any proof that that happened. And he surrendered his $10,000 bond as though that's going to cover the costs of this investigation. Uh, but what has been uncovered since then is the fact that Kim Fox, the state attorney who said that she recused herself from the case, uh, although we have now found out that she never actually did officially recuse herself. But prior to that announcement that she would be recusing herself due to a personal relationship with Jesse Smollett as well as his family members, we found out that she tried to wrestle this investigation away from Chicago police uh, and hand it over to the FBI. Now, I don't know who her contacts are within the FBI, but it became apparent that she had reasons for wanting Chicago Police Department to no longer handle this investigation, likely because she saw Eddie Johnson's initial comments about this and knew that Eddie Johnson, being the superintendent of CPD, was not going to let this go because this, the situation is, is that Chicago has a lot of problems, most of them pertaining to crime. And this is just something that it was going to be a really, really dark blotch on Chicago's reputation. And I think that Superintendent Eddie Johnson was not willing to let that go, and she knew that. Um, and then via a Freedom of Information Act request from NBC Chicago, we have now seen these text messages between a Michelle Obama affiliate and Kim Fox herself basically proffering the notion that this investigation should go to the FBI. And Kim Fox in these text messages says, and I quote, that would be a huge victory. So she obviously felt like there was something uh, to benefit from by sending this over to the FBI instead of CPD. But it's, it's getting deeper and deeper. And now it's looking like the feds are going to get involved, not only because of the mail fraud charge, but also because of this shady situation with state attorney Kim Fox. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I don't think this is the end of it. Oh, far from the end. It's just the beginning of a new chapter, and it's going to be a scandal. I mean, you know, Amanda, it's funny how the left always likes to go on about white privilege. When it comes to Chicago, uh, I think I'd gladly change my white, uh, uh, trade my white privilege for black, gay, liberal, Democrat privilege, because that is really what's going on here, isn't it? There is somebody in power that spoke to somebody else in power, and they said drop those charges. And I think that is at the root of this. And when that proof can be forthcoming, this is just the very beginning of a terrible scandal. Yeah. And, you know, it, like I said, it doesn't look good on Chicago, but, but the difference is, is, you know, there, there is no longer a two tier justice system. If you are a normal private citizen, yeah. you know, just regular old Joe Schmo, middle American, um, there is one system of justice for you and then for the highly connected and privileged, which would be Jesse Smollett, because not only is he black, not only is he gay, not only is he liberal, not only is he a Trump hater, but he's also a celebrity. So he has this intersectionality 
uh, identity politics force field around him that has protected him. And now this connection with Michelle Obama is is making is showing that the tentacles run even deeper. And, you know, you combine that with the college cheating scandal. And and this is why Donald Trump won in 2016. And I don't think people are really talking about this in connection with it. Donald Trump won in 2016 and he pulled people over from the left because he spoke to this notion, this current climate and this uh, this negative feeling that Americans have that people within the Beltway in D.C. and people who are well connected to those people uh, don't ever suffer any consequences for their actions. And this is exactly what we are seeing with Jesse Smollett. Um, he he not only lied about the situation, he tried to smear 62, 62 million Americans, people who voted for Donald Trump. And and seemingly as of Tuesday, he's getting away scot free. But I don't think it's that quick because, you know, they they still have this letter uh, in their possession that might have DNA where Jesse Smollett licked it or where he licked the stamp, allegedly. Um, so and that's a federal charge. So we'll see. Yeah. Yes, hopefully uh, Smollett uh, is, isn't a fan of forensic files because that's one of the things I noted. If you're sending any extortion materials out, don't use your tongue for some DNA off the stamp or the envelope slip. But, you know, President Trump rightfully, uh, Amanda, called this an embarrassment to the entire country. And he's right because... I mean, I think of the iconic image of Lady Justice, you know, with the scales and the blindfold on. Well, in this case, she's not wearing a blindfold. She's wearing x-ray glasses. And for all the reasons in terms of identity politics um, that you mentioned, this is at the root of why he got off. So I think that depending on how this investigation unfolds and if it's a proper investigation, I think there's going to be some powerful people seeing their heads roll over this. And they're going to have to ask themselves, was Jesse Smollett, of all people, worth this? No, I know. And, you know, my feelings about the FBI overseeing a further investigation into Kim Fox and her relationship to the investigation and to Jesse Smollett, um, I, have a, I have a few different kind of opposing opinions about that. My first concern is sending it over to the FBI. That is who she initially wanted to take over the case. Uh, so it concerns me that there could be some people involved who are are on her side and are going going to do the same thing that they did with the Clinton email investigation, which is just kind of make it go away. Um, on the other hand, the FBI is suffering some major reputational problems right now. Yeah. And this might be their opportunity to kind of, you know, I guess, revive their reputation among the American people. It could go both ways. I hope it I hope it's the latter. You know, that's an excellent point, And I agree with you. And, you know, Amanda, one last question, though. Um, I think what's rubbing uh, people the wrong way is that, let's face it, Jesse Smollett g landed on the go to jail, go directly to jail square on community chest. And somehow he ended up in free parking. And you think that would be such a victory and he would fade quietly, happy that he's not doing jail time, happy that he's not paying six figures in fines, whatever the, that guilty verdict uh, would have entailed. Yet instead, Amanda, he is boastful. He's, he's saying, see, I told you so. And he's carrying on like, um, you know, that it, it, he was a victim because of these false accusations that it was a hoax. But... I point to a couple of loose ends. Well, is he going to sue those two Nigerian bodybuilders for libel based on what they said, if he's telling the truth? And what about those two white guys um, with the noose and the bleach? I guess they're still at large. So shouldn't there be a manhunt in Chicago right now for those guys? 
Yeah, in fact, that's actually one of the issues that I saw in an interview. I think it was either this morning or yesterday afternoon. Jesse Smollett's attorney saying that no, Rahm Emanuel, the city of Chicago does not deserve an apology. Jesse Smollett deserves an apology. <laughs> and in, in that interview he did right after the court proceedings, he said that he had been truthful since day one. And as a lawyer, you advise your client when you are given such an immense amount of leniency and grace in something like this, you keep your mouth shut. This was not smart. He is he is enraging the wrong people with this. Yep. And I, I assure you, in this, if this Monopoly game that you were talking about converted to a video game, I guarantee you he wishes that he could hit the reset button. Oh, absolutely. Well, Amanda, uh, like you said, this is not the end. This is not vindication. This is not a victory for Jesse Small. This is just the beginning. And I think there are going to be some other people doing the prep walk of shame when we find out how exactly this miscarriage of justice, and that's what it is, how this miscarriage of justice came into being. Amanda, thank you so much for another great commentary. Thank you. Okay, and that was Amanda Head in Tinseltown. And keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Hey, guys. Cut the book. I'm excited to read it to you. I'll just move my biology textbooks out of the way for this one. Uh, let's get started. I am I'm excited. I don't know about you. Uh, so here's the cover. Transphobia. How to deal with it. There's a quiz in here that 11-year-old uh, kids in Nova Scotia were taking. It was in their classroom. And it tells 11-year-old kids whether or not they're transphobic. It says don't, don't use the word tranny, really. All right, I found the quiz. Here it is. Are you transphobic? A quiz for children. You don't even know anyone who's trans, it writes. And if you did, you wouldn't be phobic or afraid of them, but Think about how your assumptions and stereotypes cause hurt and upset others. Take this quiz to see how you measure up. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that there's no way to come out on the other end uh, without being labeled transphobic, so let's just have some fun and take the quiz anyways. Start with question one. I think there's only two genders and you're born into one or the other. Well, that's low-hanging fruit. True. Question two, to be respected, girls should look and act like girls, and boys should look and act like boys. Look, I think that respect is something that is earned, and I think that the SJW who wrote this book is projecting just a little bit here. If you're too much of an insufferable SJW for people to like you, I think that's your own problem. Well, that transgender quiz will never be mistaken for the sort of material one might come across in a typical Jeopardy episode. But the question arises, why is such an activist manual on transgenderism being embraced by Nova Scotia schools? And is this material truly appropriate for 11-year-olds? And with more on the preachy prose that permeates the book, Transphobia, Deal With It and Become a Transcender, is our Calgary-based rebel, Kian Bexay. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Kian. Hey, thanks for having me, David. Always a pleasure, my friend. So, Kian, as you point out, it seems that the term transphobia covers a lot of ground. But for me, the jump the Sharknado moment is when the author stated that if someone merely accuses you of being transphobic, then obviously you must be a transphobe. 
Can you even begin to explain the logic here, given that we live in a society in which one is supposedly innocent until proven guilty? It's, it's stunning. And what's, what's even more stunning is this was a book with this quiz in it sent to 11-year-old kids, prepubescents. And the mere accusation of uh, transphobia, and uh, this, I think that logic from the SJW sh should apply to everything, racism, uh, what have you. If, if you're accused of something, you're guilty. And that's what they're teaching children, which is, I think, a terrible thing to do um, because it makes them feel guilt for things that they're not guilty of. Maybe they're a little bit judgmental. Uh, they could be a lot of things, but they're not transphobic. And just because a book tells them they are doesn't mean they are. You know, uh, I agree. And, and I was um, watching your video. Uh, I was taking the test. Uh, felt like I was back in high school because I failed miserably. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I might be a transphobe. Who knows? But, but as you point out, Kian, is that, you know, when you look at some of the questions, they're almost designed to make people go against human nature. And by that, I, there was that one question you referred to. Um, uh, it, it was a statement that read, I think the sight of a man in a dress is funny, true or false. Well, you know, Ken, I'm sorry. Yeah, it is funny to see a guy with big hairy armpits, uh, you know, in a red dress. And um, it's just human nature, you know, to laugh at that. It doesn't mean that you've got any kind of phobia, fear, or, you know, uh, urge to violence against such an individual. There was also that um, question about, have you ever told jokes about trans people? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Kian. Yes, I have, but I've also told uh, blonde jokes. I've told newfie jokes. That doesn't make me blonde-phobic, newfie-phobic. And yet, the, it's designed in such a way is that if you answer affirmative to those questions, this is so-called transphobic behavior. Where do you uh, weigh in on this? I mean, I, same thing as you. I've told jokes about Justin Trudeau. I've told jokes <laughs> about white people. That doesn't mean I'm scared of white people or our prime minister. I, I See, these, these SJWs who write books like this and distribute it to children, they are eager to collect sympathy. So they want everyone to feel guilty. Everyone in the world has to feel guilty for them. So by casting the net as wide as they possibly can, uh, they win. You know, they, they teach kids that it is always transgender people that are the victim, no matter what scenario, no matter if you just told a joke, no matter if you're concerned about your daughter being in a bathroom with an old man, no matter any of these things, uh, you, are the, you are the perpetrator of hate, and fear, and it's your fault, when I don't think that's the case. But they're teaching it to kids, so there's certainly a problem here. Yeah, and you know, uh, Ken, first of all, we are talking about a percent of a percent of a percent of the population, and yet the narrative is, you know, if it's trans, it's good, if it's good, it's trans. But let's be honest, my friend, there is a dark side to transgenderism. A couple of examples in the news we've seen lately, um, men becoming women and going into elite athletics and from cycling to wrestling, um, just slaughtering the natural born woman there because they have an inherent disadvantage biologically, they are men. And then we had this week, the story broke about a pedophile who has raped little girls. He's been tried and convicted multiple times, now posing as a woman 
and living in a Brampton halfway house where he leaves unescorted. And I would assume that now that he's a woman, that gives him better opportunity to get into uh, places where women and little girls are. I think this is bad. I think this is wrong. And yet if you call it out as such, you are a transphobe, aren't you? There's lots of anecdotes like that, right? And, and the SJWs who write books like this, they want to polarize the discussion. Uh, they want people to take that quiz, people like you and me to take this quiz and get angry because then we look bad. Uh, and really what the problem is, is uh, the folks that write the books in the first place shouldn't be so polarizing about it and they shouldn't be teaching our kids. This is a problem. I know, I know, I don't want to say dozens, but I know a handful of transgender people uh, and all of them are stand-up individuals, actually. None of them are pedophiles. None of them are uh, burdens on society. They're all just trying to live their life. But the way that these condescending authors of these books put it, it's like the whole world's out to get them, and telling a joke about them is going to you know, destroy their lives when that's not the case. They tell jokes about themselves all the time, uh, and they just want to be treated as humans and and putting people in a box saying you can't make fun of them or these people are special and you need to take extra precautions it's dehumanizing people want to be able to be made fun of if you can't be made fun of uh, you don't feel like everyone else so um, I think that trans transgender people themselves should be upset with this quiz with how polarizing it is uh, and how it teaches children that transgender people are an exception and don't really fit in and need to be, uh, social concessions need to be made for them. No, that's a good point, Keenan. And, and by the way, just to be clear, I'm in no way alleging that uh, if you're trans, you therefore uh, are a pedophile. Uh, it's the other way around. There oh, yeah. is no. Uh, yeah, yeah there, there's a faction of that group. I mentioned the, um, you know, the, the Brampton uh, pedophile, uh, and I mentioned um, men being women to compete in sports where they're winning championships, whereas if they were in the men's division, they wouldn't even make the team. I, I guess what I'm getting at is that there are certain people in the trans community, whether it's Corrections Canada policies or the world of sports, that are gaming the system and getting away with it. They're cheating, and I think that's wrong. You're absolutely right about that. And transgender people, uh, generally speaking, at least the ones that I know of, they reject that. They don't want to compete in women's sports because they understand basic biology. They understand that the hormone supplements they're taking gives them an advantage. Uh, they, they, they are frustrated when uh, people take advantage of their plight uh, to, for personal gain. And it's frustrating to them and it's frustrating to us. You're certainly right about that. And um, we're almost out of time, Ken. One last question, if I can get a quick answer for you. I've always been of the opinion that I, I've never understood really why the gay community is aligned with the trans community. We see, you know, the you know the initial gram LGBT, um, and I've seen people in the gay community come out and say that. Uh, the L's and the G's and the B's should distance themselves from the T's because it's a completely different agenda. Where do you weigh in on this issue? I, a short and sweet answer is I completely agree. I think that um, there's uh, sexual minorities and then there's uh, minorities that have gender dysphoria or um, some related issue 
Uh, and I think that their plights are two completely different things. Gay people, they, you know, they fought for marriage equality and they fought for a bunch of different things. But uh, a lot of a lot of the stuff that transgender individuals are fighting for, gay gay men have no concern over. They, they they're two different people. You might as well. It, it's the whole intersectional argument. You might as well associate uh, the plight of black people and the legacy of slavery with gay people in the mind of an SJW because victimhood is victimhood. Uh, to them and they can't really distinguish between the two but when you're looking at it from the perspective uh of a regular person they see they see a huge array of different problems between the different groups uh and i would say that they're not related at all and i i kind of hold contempt for the name lgbt actually i think that they should be separated well, well, this will be a continuing debate in the years ahead. It's going to be fascinating stuff. Ian, thank you so much for a superb commentary, as always. Thanks for having me. You got it. And that was Kean Bexday in Calgary. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Sheila Gunn Reed for the Rebel.media. I'm here in the parking lot of Blackjack's Roadhouse. In Nisku, Alberta, we're doing one of our pop-up sign stops for our beautiful StopNotly.com signs to help promote my book, Stop Notly, the case for throwing out the NDP. I haven't been back at Blackjack's, unfortunately, since they hosted that record-breaking truck convoy a few months back in support of pipelines and against Trudeau. And when we got here, there were people already waiting in the parking lot. It's not even six yet in my daughter is behind me frantically trying to assemble signs for the people who are waiting for them and I'm going to talk to the people and see why they showed up and then I'm going to help my daughter. Why'd you come down to get a sign today? Well I think it's pretty obvious we've had a four years of an accidental government and they've gotten us deep into debt. Nobody ever talks about the interest on the debt. That's putting our future in jeopardy for me, my grandchildren, and my children. So, time to stop her. Oh, golly, she's got to stop this girl. She's just destroying the province. It's, uh, what? The economy, I really do. And integrity and accountability is missing. I think that's, you know, we've got to make some changes there. Why did I come down and get a sign? Because we need to stop Notley. I'm helping support the rebel and get rid of Notley. What's the worst thing she's done? Well, I, everything that she says pretty much is wrong. Well, what can I say whenever I come across someone wearing a bright red baseball cap that states, make Trudeau a drama teacher again? Well, I know I'm in friendly territory populated by reasonable people. And wow, am I ever getting the vibe that in the weeks ahead, we are going to witness major regime change in Wild Rose country. And with more on our ongoing Fire Notley campaign that is ruffling the feathers of Albertan SJWs is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Always a tremendous pleasure. So, Sheila, I noticed you enlisted your lovely daughter to help assemble your Fire Notley signs. Are you now worried that some NDP supporter is going to make a formal complaint against you for using unpaid child labor? You know what? The NDP supporters love to make complaints about everything. <laughs> they complained about my fire Shannon Phillips billboard. 
um, which sparked an investigation that actually wasn't happening. And now Elections Alberta has to spend the next seven days <laughs> apologizing to us on the Internet. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't put it past the NDP supporters to do something shifty like that and complain that I have forced <laughs> my lovely daughter to give up her entire spring break <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to assemble signs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I think with this government and their bureaucracy uh, that seemed to be their lapdog, Sheila, yeah, it's kind of yeah. like playing chess. You have to think two or three moves ahead and uh, nothing would be surprising. But you know what I loved about your video, Sheila, is that there were such um, a congregation of normal people, like people that, uh, you know, the, the salt of the earth, they just want to work, they, they, you know, they're not radical in any way. I get, you know, it's the polar opposite of what I encounter when I do a Generation Trudeau streeter. And I guess it must be so refreshing to come across uh, such people who I assume are a major part of uh, our subscriber base. Well, I get, it is refreshing and it isn't refreshing because unlike, I suppose, the rest of people working in media in Alberta, that's the world in which I live. <laughs> so it's not unusual for me. I'm a normal person. I'm a farmer's wife. I'm an oil patch wife. I'm a mo busy mom of three. Um, so it's not unusual to me to be with those people. But for the rest of the mainstream media, those people may as well be on another planet. <laughs> I was thinking about I was thinking about it actually on the drive home last night, the very long drive home last night from Bonneville, where I was giving out more signs. And I was thinking, you know, when you're in the pressure cooker of hate, that is the internet or Twitter, and it's one probably one of the smarter things that you do, David, you don't spend a lot of time on social media, like spending a lot of time um, doing real people stuff and marrying that lovely wife of yours, probably the smartest things you've ever done. Um, but, you know, when you're out there talking to normal people, you remember the Internet isn't real. All those people yelling and screaming at you about how much they hate you. They are such a small microcosm of what's really unfolding here in Alberta. Uh, people just want to get rid of Notley. And while the mainstream media might be reporting on Twitter outrage every single day, I'm out there talking to the real people and hearing their real stories. But you know, Sheila, I, I kind of wish you never mentioned the word Bonneville. When I worked as a reporter at the St. Paul Journal, I was going to Bonneville one night and I incurred such a massive speeding ticket and I had no money um, that I had <laughs> to do three days of community service, which was picking up trash. So <laughs> Bonneville's got a, Bonneville's not so Bonnie to me <laughs> when I think oh. of happened to be in my car that night, but I digress. Um, Sheila, your signage, what is the reaction you're getting? You know, uh, you had another video, of course, where you're running around Edmonton, planting them in what I would call hostile territories. Um, and of course, we saw your interaction with a, a senior bureaucrat, but do you ever sort of hang around and see what passersby are saying when they see the signs? You know, we usually just set up shop in a public space like a, a rec center parking lot or a tourism information center so that, you know, it can be a little bit embarrassing if a private business kicks you off. So we try not to do stuff like that. Um, and people are, even people who don't know about our sign drop off, they will honk their horn, get out of their truck and come take three signs um, because they... 
that's the reception. So be, even people who aren't normally Rebel subscribers, who aren't getting the emails to say where we're going to be and when to drop off those signs, those people are happy to see us. They're running up there, taking the signs, and they're sending me pictures about of their beautiful signs in their yard. So, I mean, the response is overwhelming. I haven't had one single person say uh, that they support Notley or that I shouldn't be there handing out the signs or, you know, the usual like, hey, you work for the rebel, you're a garbage person. I haven't had that even once. Well, that, that's good to hear. And, and, and that furthers the argument. I, I know, as they say in sports, there's no such thing as a sure thing. But I would say that Jason Candy is going to uh, coast a victory uh, in Alberta. I think that is indeed a sure thing. And I want to, you know, go back a few years. As I mentioned, I, you know, in the 80s, I was in Alberta for a few years, uh, Sheila. This was during the progressive conservative dynasty going back decades. And the idea, certainly in the mid-80s, that uh, this dynasty could ever be derailed. And secondly, that an NDP government could be ruling the province was like something out of a science fiction novel. Can you give uh, our viewers who don't live in Alberta an understanding of how the Rachel Notley NDP government got into power in the first place? It seems like such a cosmic fluke. Well, it really was. It was a perfect storm of a number of different things. The progressive conservatives had been in power for four decades. And as you know, most political parties, um, when they become stagnant like that, they drift left. Yeah. And we had seen, you know, a lot of cronyism um, after four decades. I mean, the the government was just so um, entangled in the private sector, too. And people were fed up with that. People who were closely linked to the PCs were getting all the contracts. So people were very fed up with that. Um, and because they had moved so far left, they made Rachel Notley seem like not so crazy, not so far away from our governing progressive conservatives um, with her socialist ideas. It's just how things drifted. But at the very same time, um, the Wild Rose, which was the upstart um, other conservative party, um, the leader at the time decide, um, decided that she should uh, join the PCs, and that was the best way to unite the conservatives. Um, but she didn't ask the membership. So um, a, there was a massive floor crossing, which basically nuked the Wild Rose Party. And then I think it was about 35 days um, from the time the Wild Rose Party had to choose a new leader and put themselves back together to a general election. And in the middle of that, the new leader that they chose, his name is, was Brian Jean. His name still is Brian Jean, but he's no longer the leader. His son died. So, and some people say that that contributed to a robotic performance in one of the debates. It was just this really perfect storm, this vote split on the right, a disaster in the two right-wing parties, and this drift left by the conservative movement, which made Rachel Notley seem pretty normal, pretty nice, and not all that radical. And as it turns out, she's none of those things. She's very radical and not all that pleasant. And Albertans have suffered the last four years because of it. Yeah, and you know, I, I agree with you, the Wild Rose Party uh, element for sure, uh, Sheila. Uh, Daniel Smith, uh, who, who yeah. I met and is a very nice lady, and I, I, so I'm not, yeah. the, what I'm gonna say is not to be meant taken personally, but I think in the last 10 years of Canadian politics, she wears the crown of the biggest political loser in terms of mm -hmm. the timing of, 
if she had stayed where she were and her colleagues, I think that would have been the go-to choice of the majority uh, of Albertans. But um, anyways, we can't undo the past. Uh, it looks like, uh, you know, last question, Sheila. I get the vibe out there that people are so fed up uh, with uh, the NDP and with what Rachel Notley has done to the province and by extension what's happened in Ottawa in terms of their policies uh, for, uh, for Alberta and the oil patch that they just can't wait for regime change. Uh, you know, since probably the first of the year, people have been saying, Rachel, call the election. Rachel, call the election. Because they just <laughs> want it to be over with. And it's funny because uh, everything people want to vote out with Rachel Notley, the insults to regular Albertans, the um, welfare, corporate welfare that she just keeps handing out, the massive social programs we can't afford. Her campaign is based on doing more of those things, the character assassination, the big spending, and she thinks it's helpful, and it's just not. The more she makes these announce, expensive announcements and attacks the character of Jason Kenney for things he said 30 years ago, her poll numbers keep dropping. Um, so, you know, I was predicting uh, Jason Kenney to get about 60 seats in the next election, but... Um, by the time Rachel Notley's done campaigning, I would not be surprised to see him somewhere up around 70. Wow. Well, we'll have to set an over-under uh, line uh, prior to yeah. the election and see who, see who wins that office pool. Sheila, thank you so much. I, I have a feeling that you and your lovely daughter are going to be extremely busy this weekend putting up more of those yeah. signs. So uh, be careful out there, and we'll, uh, we'll talk next week. You bet. I'm just going to plug my book real quick. Of course. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's number two on Amazon right now. I'd like to see it get to number one uh, just to annoy the NDP. If you want a copy <laughs> of the book, <laughs> go to stopnotly.com. And if you want to sign up for one of those beautiful orange lawn signs that my um, sign slave daughter and I are handing out all over the province, you can reserve one there at stopnotly.com. Be sure to sign up for our emails too. That way you can find out where we're going to be and when because we're adding new dates all the time. Kean's covering the south, I'm doing the north, and we're working really hard to make sure that everybody gets the sign they want. Fantastic. Well, Sheila, congratulations on the thank you. Uh, fantastic success of your latest book. And uh, again, uh, thank you for weighing in on what's going on in Walbro's country right now. Thanks, David. Have a great weekend. You too, my friend. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed in Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. So we're going to see if uh, we get any resolution to this today and uh, regardless when uh, Jordan Hunt comes out of the court we're going to attempt to ask him some questions. So Jordan Hunt can I ask you why did you assault uh, Miss Bissonette? No answer? Why did you kick a woman? What does your family think about your actions? Are, I'm sorry, are you real news? Uh, that's right, yes. David Menzies with Rebel Media. So we're, just, we're, just wondering, <laughs> we're just wondering why you chose to hit a woman. Are you going to do a roundhouse kick on me? Do you know what a publication ban is? Uh, I'm in public right now with you. Yes, the publication ban. Yeah. So when are you going to say sorry to Miss Bissonette? You're not real news. What are you? I'm a person. Why did you push somebody into traffic? You're reporting somebody and you're not supposed to.
Well, isn't that special? Feminist Jordan Hunt, who allegedly has a perverse fetish for violently assaulting women who take part in pro-life rallies, well, he's somewhat camera shy these days. Is it because when the person standing next to him isn't female that he realizes he might suffer some consequences himself? Or maybe it has something to do with the fact that he is already facing multiple assault charges? What a creep. In any event, here's what some of you had to say about this. But HZ writes, nothing allegedly about it, it's on film. And Chompy said, allegedly, LOL, the blank, tried to throw a woman in front of a truck. Yes, indeed, guys, unless that was a Jordan Hunt doppelganger, the coward caught on camera is surely Jordan Hunt. But until there's a conviction, we have to go with allegedly. Oh, and how's this for insult to injury? Somehow his lawyer managed to secure a publication ban so we can't even report what's happening right now in the courtroom. Just incredible. <coughs> Little Kitty writes, anyone notice that creep's pendant? The guy is evil and what a coward hitting women. That's what cowards do. As they say, when someone doesn't have anything intelligent to say, they use violence. He's totally off his rocker. People like this used to get locked up to protect the public. Oh, I agree, little kitty. And would it be too much to ask this person to man up and at least apologize to the woman he has allegedly assaulted thus far? Well, yeah, apparently that is too much to ask of this guy. Joseph Braz Tito writes, that's not very feminist-like of him. Indeed, Jossip, and do you see a bit of a pattern emerging here when it comes to so-called male feminists, such as Dion Buse, who assaulted my colleague Sheila Gunn-Reed at a Edmonton Women's March a couple of years ago? And then there's our very own PM, AKA the Kokanee Groper. Gee, with feminists like these, who needs misogynists? And Grinder McGee writes, Kudos to Rebel for being there to cover this POS. This should have been national news. Shame on MSM. Indeed, Grinder, and get a load of this. When the kicking incident happened last year, his victim, Marie Claire Bissonnette, first reached out to the CBC. What a scoop, right? But guess what? CBC actually declined to cover this story. But I ask you this, if a woman had been assaulted at a pro-abortion rally, how much do you want to bet that such a story would lead every CBC newscast? Shameful. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.